guys. Welcome back to Racing Room Radio, where fitness and racing are one. I'm your co-host, Jay Paintbrush Painter. Ryan was on Baby Watch this week, and well, Zach, he popped out. Ta-da! Before we go into all that, Ryan, I want to hear about this Merc Challenge that you did on Memorial Day. Okay, so I, I don't want to sit here and gloat about it. Um, mostly because there's other people out there that are destroying my butt. But um, I actually found a, a CrossFit that was a CrossFit location. Well, it's not CrossFit anymore. They actually are their own entity. They've moved on from being a CrossFit entity. But it's, it's local to here. I used to go to their location when they were CrossFit and in my town. Uh, they moved like two towns over. But they had a community workout where anybody could come in, members or not. They have a beautiful facility. It's a Torque, uh, Torque Performance. Um, they're out in uh, Advance, North Carolina. They just moved into a new facility. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, Jordan, it kind of reminds me of The Blast, if you remember that. Uh, if, you, you, yeah. if you used to grow up in the York County area, you might know The Blast's uh, big... Kid, mostly kids sports center it kind of reminds me of that um but uh, i went there and did that murph challenge and i was a little nervous about it to be honest with you because compared to last year i've put on some lbs and it wasn't necessarily the covid 15 um i'll be honest with you early this year i spent a lot of time building my back i really worked on that um so I focused more on, on the muscle building aspect of it than doing the, the cardio portions of it. And Murph, even though it's a lot of, uh, you know, if you're wearing a weight vest or even if you're not, it's a lot of, you know, strength kind of movements. Um, but it, it ends up being a cardio piece because you're just going for a really long time. And I was kind of worried, especially on the run, that I would kind of struggle um, so I wanted to, I was just interested to see how that turned out. And it turned out, so last year I did double Murph. I did the RX version, you know, with the weight vest, uh, non-partition. So I went straight with the 100, 200, 300. Uh, and I did that in 40 minutes. So the when this started, this, uh, this year's one, I was kind of thinking, like, I didn't expect to hit a PR. I wasn't expecting to do anything like that. Um, now, when I took off, first first thing was kind of I was that guy. I did not know. I mean, I brought my own weight vest. I did not know no one else was going to be wearing a weight vest. So I was that guy. I was that a-hole who showed up and used the weight vest, and no one else did. Um, but So the run course that they had laid out, they told us to go around the building to these cones, loop back around. Well, when we went off, a bunch of the other guys that were obviously not wearing weight vests, they took off in front of me. So, went around to the other side, and uh, we hit the turnaround, there's other guys coming back, and even I'm thinking, like, that's not far enough. We were supposed to go around, basically we were making a U around the back of this big building uh, two times. And so, to me, I was like, okay, so that's a quarter mile out, and then back, out, and back. It makes a mile. Um, Yeah, I coming around the corner you just if you've run any kind of distance you know you're like you get to that point you're like that's not enough that is not right um but i didn't have my watch on counting my mileage at the time uh you just could kind of feel it 
So I did the two just like everyone else did, came back in, found my station, started going. When I looked at the timer when I came in, I was at like 6, 6.30 till I came inside and actually got to my pull-up station. And I'm just sitting there like, I don't know if I could run a 6.30 mile right now without a weight vest. Like I, I probably could, but it'd be tough. With, with a weight vest, there's no way. So I knew I was short. Um, so went through, uh, I did this year's partition. So I did the five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 15 sit-ups. And I did that 20 times. <clears throat> and the key in where I really succeed a lot in workouts like this is I have an ability to just keep moving. Even if it's not the fastest, I can keep accruing reps. Just one, one, one. And eventually you get you know, deeper in and a lot of people start taking these ginormous breaks. All right, so you know, they finish a set and they might have gotten through that set quicker than me and then they go and rest for three minutes where I'm just steadily just chipping away, just chipping away, just chipping away. <clears throat> well then, um, as I got down towards the end, uh, I started off with the pull-ups, by the way, strict, and then it was probably like three or four rounds in, I started doing the butterflies, which I don't like doing butterflies. I don't practice them much because as far as strength building, they're just not great. Um, but when you're doing a lot of pull-ups, it's a little easier, and if you can chain them together, if you have that skill, it helps you out, get through a lot. All right, so um, that to me is the only time when th they're okay is when you're trying to chain a bunch together, you have to do this many and it's legal to go ahead and do those. Um, but I, I watched, I was on, I think, round 18, and I just did 19 and 20 together, but I saw the first guy go out to go for the run. And then shortly after I finished, because I just did the last two, basically I did 19 rounds, just the 19th round was a double set for everything. Uh, went out the door, ended up getting my watch started as soon as I went to take off. <clears throat> and so when I, <laughs> I got around to the, the turnaround point, where it should be 0.25 miles, and I looked down, it was like 0.16 or 0.17. I'm like, oh no. So now I'm like, I'm running, I'm calculating this in my head. So it's like, okay, and when I got around, it ended up being a third of a mile, It what it was. It wasn't a half a mile out and back, it was a third. So now I had to make a pimp decision, which was, okay, well, everyone else is running two laps. Do I run two and just be short, knowing I'm going to end up being two-thirds of a mile short and just do what everyone else does, or do I go ahead and go back and finish the rest? Well, I mean, you're already wearing a weight vest, so yes. you're already that guy. Yeah, yeah I was already going to be that guy, so I'm like, well... I need an extra, I'm going to end up needing an extra two-thirds. So, because each lap down and back was a third, so I had done two-thirds the first time, so I'm running, I'm like, okay, I'm going to finish the second third. Um, so now I need to run another two-thirds to make up every, all the, the whole thing. <clears throat> so that would be, you know, six-thirds or two miles, however you want to fraction that out. <laughs> But yeah, but I'll tell you, breaking it down in some crazy yeah, getting now. into some math and it, yeah, didn't didn't expect to get into math on this. But um, so what I decided to do is just like, well, I'll get the best of both worlds. So basically, I came in from the second lap where it was supposed to be a mile, but it was two thirds. Um, so I came in, found the clock, got my time, 
and that was like 3150. Immediately saw the time, turned around, and went and basically ran that that course again, another two laps. That got me my full two miles, um, even though I had to backlog some of it. End up finishing 37.45, which isn't, you know, it's, I'm not sitting here pounding my chest about it because it's not the best by far. There's a lot of people who can do Murph with the weight vest, just like I did, and way faster. I think the record, though, is... Hunter McIntyre did it earlier this year, maybe last year. And Hunter's a freak. He's a one of the elite Spartan racers. Um, he ran it in like 26, something like that. So, you know, but, you know, when you talk about being a world record, I'm 11 minutes off of that. That's not really that bad. So I was really, really kind of happy with that. And considering the fact that I was not expecting to do a PR, and I did, I was pretty happy with that, um, but the, the the really cool thing was now some of the other guys there like that that work out there they train a completely different way and I don't think they took it quite as seriously they didn't try to go super hard and I wasn't going 100 percent I was probably going like 85 just because it's hard to go 100 percent on that kind of workout you burn out really quickly but I was beating guys that like are much younger and super fit by like 20 minutes so. That's always a good feeling. Um, yeah. But, again, I, I don't think those guys take this this seriously. They're like football players, and this is not how they, they normally train. They're not CrossFitters, so uh, it's not – just not what is their way, and it's not important to them. It was more important about just doing the workout, which sh- that's how it should be. You know, it should be for fun. It should be if you want to push yourself, you push yourself and do what you can. Um, the thing that – I really learned from it. Now, again, I had a great time doing it. Um, I think because of the way I train with body combat a lot, I got tired, but I never got to the point in that workout where I was like, I can't go anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was always like, man, it sucks, but I was never dying to the point of like, I can't. I might go up there and be like, oh, crap, I'm going to fail this rep, but I never got to the point of just like, I could, I gotta stop. This is too much. So that that made me feel really good because I was kind of worried about getting in like twelve rounds deep and then just being like, I can't go. I just can't. So uh, that made me feel good. But another thing that I noticed, and again, it goes back to the pull-ups, and I wanted to bring that up earlier. So, uh, Jordan, do you know what a butterfly pull-up is? The CrossFit style of pull-up. Are you familiar uh, with that? Couldn't tell you. Okay, so you know when you do pull-ups, to some people that do the swinging. Yeah. So essentially a butterfly pull-up is where you kind of mermaid kick. Instead of, instead of just swinging up and then swinging yeah. back, you kind of do this mermaid kick as you come down. So it's like your chest kind of makes this circle. Mm-hmm. As you come up, you fall. As you're falling, your feet, you're kind of like pulled, chest is out, feet are back, hands are back. When you get to the bottom, you do this mermaid kick, and it propels you back, and then you pull yourself up to the top of the rep, and then you fall down. So you're basically making these big circles. Yeah. And these are heavily criticized in a lot of domains. Now, it's not the same as a strict pull-up, where you use no momentum, you're just literally pulling yourself up. It's absolutely not the same motion at all. And if anyone is telling you it's superior or whatever, they're just two different motions. You cannot compare them in that way. And But because they really are more of a skill... 
they're not really a strength kind of move. I don't program them that that much. I'll throw them in sometimes just to kind of maintain that skill because it's a hard thing to get that rhythm. It really, really is. Um, but what I've noticed from that, every time I do a workout where it's like that, you have 100 pull-ups or, you know, even if it's like above 50 and you start doing these swinging kind of pull-ups to get that volume in to complete the workout it's a completely different motion and nothing really taxes my pulling muscles my biceps my lats um quite like that it's it's different it hits you different than a regular um and it's because i don't do them that much when you do that much volume as compared to just doing you know five and ten here just to maintain the skill it really messes you up for a couple days. Like that is, I was pretty sore for the next couple days. My gripping muscles, uh, even today I had deadlifts and it was super hard to hold onto the bar. Um, it's so, I know this is one thing when people get into these spaces, like they see CrossFit, oh, CrossFit pull-ups suck. Well, if you're trying to build upper body strength, not the best, it's, you know, a a regular pull-up is going to be much better for that. But as far as um, doing that skill, it's going to tax your muscles in a different way. And I think what it also does, because you can do more, it's like it's just adding volume where you wouldn't have that. Like I did weighted pull-ups today. I would never be able to do that many uh, as, as compared to doing the butterfly pull-ups. So you get more volume, and it's kind of like – you do a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit until each of those pulls add a littler amount of, you know, strength to that. You get to do more in the end because you just kind of did a little bit here and there. So um, what I'm trying to say of that is strict pull-ups compared to kipping pull-ups compared to butterfly pull-ups, they're three totally different things. And this is just one of those areas where it's you have to know why you're doing them at each time. And what you're trying to accomplish by programming each one. And they're they're different. So when you hear someone say, that kind sucks, you shouldn't do them. Well, I mean, it's just like anything else we talk about. Yeah, in certain yeah. situations it does. But in certain situations, it's much better. So um, that's my little rant on that. But I also wanted to, to, to go on to another rant. Um, so, but again, that, that Murph, I had a lot of fun. Pushed myself. Um... It was a great time. Got to see a lot of people I haven't seen in a while, so it was really fun. Um, now, here's a, my second part of this. I am told, like, I will tell people about Murph. I'll talk about it, suggest it to people because of what well, everything we talked about last week. <clears throat> and people will always tell me, I can't do that. Oh, I can't do that. I could never do that. So it kind of breaks down everything we talked about last week. And no, maybe you cannot do it. Is, that workout is programmed to be brutal and for the elite well, to be well, able to. Let me, let, me, let me stop you right there. Yeah. I'll, I'll answer this, this rant that you got going on here with a simple, I'm fat and out of shape. And listen, it might be hard, but you just have the mindset that you can do it, even though you feel like you can't, you just have to push yourself through it. Like I said, I'm chubbers, I'm out of weight, or I'm out of shape, but if you really put your mindset to it, you really want to complete it, there's no can't 
inside of a workout. Yeah. And I just want to put that out there. That, and that's a good point. But r really with these, the people who tell me this, and I get it every year. I get 10, 15 people every year that Murph comes up and they're like, I can't do that. I can't even do one pull-up. Well, when you tell me, the first thing you tell me is, I couldn't do that. Well, no, you can't. You've already lost the battle. You're done because mentally you say you can't. I mean, that's that's number one. But number two, and it's we're going to bring up what we talked about last week. We can scale this workout to what's appropriate for you. I know one person specifically said, I can't even do one pull-up. Okay, well, can we throw a bar around or a band around that bar to help you with some pull-ups? Can we cut the reps in half? Don't do 100, do 50. That's still too much. Can we do some pull-downs, like a pull-down machine? Or a, pull, a band pull-down, throw the bar band up over the bar, and instead of pulling your body up, pull the band down. Um, you can't do push-ups on like regular feet, feet and hands only. Drop down to your knees. Can't do that. Bring your knees under your hips. You can take so much leverage off. You still can't do that. Lean up against the wall and push your body away from the wall. That's still a very similar motion. So it's like we can scale this thing infinite amount of ways to make it appropriate for you. And it's not important. You know, it, it might be important for you to push yourself and to be to do things you didn't think you're capable of. And that's fine. But I think some of this is ignorance. People don't know we can scale this thing so much. Um, but a lot of it is people just saying, well, I couldn't do that when really it's I don't want to do that. And that's fine. You don't like I'm not saying you should do this just because. But let, let's be real about it. Is it you can't or you can't find a way to make it work or you don't want to? Because they're two very different things. And if you don't want to, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't lie and say, well, I can't, you know? It could be It could be a third thing, too. It could be that the person just doesn't want to, quote, unquote, possibly embarrass themselves in front of the other people that are around them by doing less than what everybody else is. And that is a very good point, and that is a very good point, and, and this is not something that I can just easily say this is easily fixable, but what I can say is, number one, the CrossFit community is just the best, and you can talk to just about any d domains. You can talk to powerlifters, you can talk to strongmen, you can talk to cardio people. Everyone who has had an experience in CrossFit will always say that that community is phenomenal they always have each other's backs there's not you know you're going to have those bad apples every now and then but most of the time you're not going to get that person who's going to be like making fun of you about things like that or you just don't see that and even outside of that community because murph is so big it goes beyond crossfit and uh just in general the people who are there and are consistent about being in the gym they're all there to rally around everyone. It is the best place for someone who's like that, who is very self-conscious. That is the best place for you because these people are going to lift you up. And honestly, if they, if you really realize you're a person who really kind of needs to not be encouraged, to be kind of left to your own devices, they will give you that grace. You know what I mean? The, this, the group that you work out with, these people notice what you are and what you need and they will give you that so um now there's certain places you're not going to get that um 
a lot of the discount gyms, you're probably going to not really get that camaraderie. But you know, the, the better places with, you know, people who are really, really serious about their fitness, uh, you're going to see that a lot. So that's just my little rant because I just, I get sick of hearing that every year. Man, I can't do that. No, man, you can. I can show you how if you want to. If you don't want to, that's okay. We don't, it's not a big deal. It's, I, there's things I don't want to do. Like, I don't want to go and go learn how to do ballet. But I'm not going to say I can't. Like, I'm plenty flexible. I, I'm pretty proprioceptive. I could probably figure it out. But that's not something I want to do. So I'm that, pretty sure we'd have to call you Twinkle Toes then. I mean, I got some fancy footwork, but... <laughs> I, I, I pro, I, if I wanted to apply myself... My mentality, and this should be yours too. This is not me being cocky. This is how everyone should be. If you want to be good at something, you need to have the mentality of, I can be good at whatever I apply myself to. Because if you don't have that mentality, and I struggle with this from some time to time, I will be totally honest. But if you don't have that mentality of, I can make myself really good at this thing if I apply myself. If you don't have the mentality, you're already starting behind the eight ball. It's, so, it's a competitive attitude. Yeah. It's, you just have to see yourself as you want to be the best at it that you can. And like a lot of people, when you want to be the best at it, that means you're competitive. Yeah. And if someone's better than you at something, you just push to get better than them. And that's should be a goal. Yeah. And this we're getting a little off topic, but it's, it's all about balance too. It's like, you should have that confidence in yourself to be like, Hey man, I can be really good at whatever I apply myself to whatever I want to do. I can make myself good. I can, to take the steps to make myself good, but also not envelop your life about that to the point of it dominates your life, it dominates your relationships, um, it affects your mental status, your your health, it, it balance. That's another key thing here. I think I'm I think I'm losing Jordan. He's getting real fuzzy. And going back to your comment about at the gym, that's where people. Am I getting fuzzy or can't you hear me? I got you. I got you. You're still just fuzzy, but that might just be your beard. It's, well, it's probably the light, too. Well, yeah. But continue. But the gym atmosphere that you were talking about is where everybody can pick you up, and that can get you into a mindset that it makes you better as a person. Like it'll make you competitive, but it's also one of those that helps you get you out of that mindset of I'm not great or like get you anxiety about how like you're not good at certain things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it gets you out of that, that thought process and it helps you clear your mind. That's yeah. like a gym and exercise is one of the things that help you can clear, like helps you clear your mind on things that you really need to. Yeah, and keeping keeping in mind here that everything we do in the gym is supposed to make us better at the things we do outside of the gym. I know we want to be competitive. We want to try to to be the best in the gym. We want to try to push our own PRs, push our own abilities. But everything we do in the gym should be leading to improve our work lives, our sleep. Um, our relationships with our friends, our family, our eating habits, that, that all, everything we do should roll together to try to improve your life, not dominate your life. So keep that in mind too with, with this gym atmosphere thing. 
Yeah. So, but with that, um, we're going to move on. Jordan's got the dirt news, so we're going to transfer over to him. All right. So, um, this weekend was a lot of rain. And I mean a lot of rain. So, pretty much the winner at Williams Grove was rain. Picked up the win again. Um, so, Williams Grove canceled. But I got some funny thing about that, which you'll really like. Did you happen to see Brett Michaels? I did. Visit Williams Grove? I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Poison up here in uh, Pennsylvania with Brett Michaels coming back. Stopping to Williams Grove was pretty cool. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, the All-Stars got rained out Friday at the Grove, which is where they were. They got rained out Saturday at Port. They got rained out Sunday at Port. And they ended up running Memorial Day. And, well, as I told you before, Lance DeWeese at Port Royal, it, there's just no one better. He picked up his 117th win at the track on Monday um, at Lincoln Speedway. Uh, Fast Freddie Raymer picked up the win there. He uh, pretty much dominated it flag to flag. No one was catching him. Um, but I want to I bring this up because... I mean, as we're going to get into it in NASCAR, we all know the spanking that Kyle Larson put on everybody in NASCAR this week. But not only did he run 600 miles on Sunday, he went to Lawrenceburg Speedway on Monday with the World of Outlaws, and, well, who would pick up the win? But Kyle Larson. So wins the 600, comes out, beats the World of Outlaws, I, I don't know who's better. Like, there's no one better than Kyle Larson right now. He goes and beats the best guys in the world on pavement and comes back and beats the best guys in the world on dirt. So I don't know who can tell me right now that is a hotter driver or better, but I'm still feeling like he's carrying the heat that he had from last year through to this year. So after that, that's pretty much all that happened in the dirt world. Um, this past weekend, Williams Grove's running tonight, and guess what? Mother Nature didn't win, so we're going to have another feature winner. Um, not sure who it's going to be. I haven't checked on it. Um, the Outlaws, I believe, got rained out tonight, and I haven't seen anything on the All-Stars yet, but I'm sure I'll see that before the end of the night. So that's, uh, that's it for Dirt. Real short and sweet. Awesome. All right. So we're going to transfer over to, obviously, Jordan just said about Kyle Larson dominating the, uh, the cup race. So we're going to get to the Coke 600 because I, I think we have some interesting things to talk about there. But let's first of all hit on the truck race. Um, obviously, uh, John Hunter Nemechek is showing everyone why he left the cup ride he was in, put himself in better equipment, and I, I don't know where it goes from here, but... I think, I think we touched on him before. His ceiling was probably met being in that cup car. Uh, he's showing he's got talent. Put me in a good car. I'll go and win races. Um, so he, he's doing well. Uh, the big takeaway from the truck race, first of all, obviously, a lot of wrecks. Uh, one big one. Jordan, what did you think about that uh, Johnny Sauter wreck? Well, first when I seen it, my heart stopped. Um, like I just, my jaw dropped and I just sat there and I, I was just speechless. My wife looked at me and was like, what, what are you doing? 
And I was like, that, that wreck was bad. Like, just, just wait. And, and she looked over my shoulder and she seen his truck parked out in the infield. And I was like, the camera angle they were at, I was like, I don't see him moving. And then like, I didn't see the window net come down and my heart started beating really fast. Cause I was like, this is not going to be good. And it just started crushing me to see that the safety team wasn't getting there. They were just not there and not there. And I'm like, someone needs to get to solder right now because I haven't seen him move yet. Now I heard, you know, from other outlets that they could see him moving around inside the car, but the angle that I was at, I could, I could not see him. And it was just bringing sure panic over me. And then I seen the safety crews go to the other car that the guy already had the window net down and was ready to climb out. And I'm like, how do you not go to solder right now? Because he still didn't drop his window net. And then when they finally said that his window net's down and he's starting to climb out, I had a huge sigh of relief. But I was just blown away how, when they showed the replays, how long that guy was up into the wall and how he was on all but a dead stop in the middle of the racetrack. And there was no caution. And, I mean, we talked about it before with Bristol with the dirt. When something happens like that, these guys are coming super fast. Yeah. And and Sauter being behind that other truck and stepping out, I'm just, I was so happy that he was not on the other side to where it, it peeled off the driver's side. Because I feel like that would have been a heck of a lot yeah. worse. And, and I have to say, I feel like NASCAR kind of dodged a bullet this, this weekend. Yeah, that, that was it. Was a scary wreck. Yeah, we got to learn from that one. Um, I mean, I, I can kind of understand a little bit. I know they said something about the eighty-eight was blowing up, and that's where their attention was. But you got spotters all over the racetrack. Um, you got eyes all over this racetrack. Someone had. To, I mean, if you look at that truck and Charlotte, for for whatever reason, the way they have it lit up, there's it's not the brightest track. And so that truck being up against the fence the way it was, I can understand a little bit how it wasn't seen from the tower, but someone had to have seen it. Someone has to say something, all right? I mean, even the that team spotter has to wave down after the, you know, the caution doesn't come out. Somebody has to say something. And if, if there's not enough spotters around the track, because I know NASCAR had some cuts uh, the last couple of years to, you know, reduce the people they have that they take to the track. If, if that's the case, then it's not good enough right now. Um, and Johnny, I mean, looking back at it. Gonna... Yeah. Go ahead, Jay. So, so this is going to open up NASCAR to reevaluate when they're at every track to see the slightest bit of blind spot. They're going to have to reevaluate putting someone there that just watches that like specific spot. Yeah. And with, again, with that truck, the way it's painted and it, how dark the track tends to be, him being up in the wall the way he was, I can kind of get it. Like, it kind of is, it would be a hard one to see. But um, it's just not good enough. It's really, it's just not. And then I don't care about Johnny maybe moving around the truck. Maybe he queued, keyed in, said he was okay. You got to do better. You just got to do better. Now, to, to the credit, if you kind of look back at it, if you watch the wreck, first of all, if you if you haven't actually seen how this played out, the 14 was up in the fence. And kind of like 
started like he was going to kind of try to come to pit lane and then didn't. And so when the caution didn't come out, the 51 of Drew Dollar is coming off of turn four, and there was another truck in front of him. And it looks like Drew kind of saw the 14 as he's coming off the corner and cut down just a little bit and got out of the throttle. But Johnny never saw. He's looking at the back of that 51 truck. He never lifts. Um, he pro it looks like he saw the 51 slowing down, so he went to the outside like you would. And, oh, crap, there's a truck there. And he just basically hit a truck that was almost standing still, and it just filleted the right side of his truck. And, again, like to your point, it would be really bad if it was the left side. But I can kind of almost, given the situation, knowing how that wreck plays out, uh, the right side of these trucks, you know, if, if it all that energy dissipates, okay, like I get it. The left side was relatively fine, um, and Johnny just hit a truck that was standing still. I could see on the driver's side, like it was in the back, but he did hit that truck on on the driver's side. I could m understand the argument of getting to the driver who got hit closer to his seat first. That makes sense, but so someone's got to get to Johnny. Like you just you can't just let him sit there. So it was it was a long. I mean, it could have been thirty seconds. It could have been a minute, but it I, felt like an eternity. I heard a minute forty five seconds. Yeah, that's and to me. That's that's just inexcusable. That's me, a pace lap. Uh, I'm pretty sure a pace lap at Charlotte is longer than that. That's just not good enough. So I yeah. mean, a, a person behind the wall. They, right. they could have had all the trucks slow down, and a AMR guy behind the wall could have ran out to his truck before they got to him with the safety truck. That's just – it's not good enough. Yeah. Because, I mean, you just don't know. I mean, yeah, he's moving around, That's but maybe he's moving around because he's in pain. Maybe he can't right. get to the window net because, like, as, as he hit that truck, the wheel snapped to the side, and he broke his wrist and or popped his shoulder out of socket. These are things that ha can happen. So, right. I mean, you, you just don't know, and you, you gotta, we gotta learn from, it's a good thing this happened, because it ended up being nothing, and we learned from it. That's, it's just like, uh, Coda, with the rain. Yeah. It's a bad deal, but nothing happened, we're fortunate, we learn from it, we move on. So, but that was the big takeaway from the truck race, um, but, uh, I wish, I wish I would have been talking about Carson Hosevar. A couple weeks ago. That dude is impressing the crap out of me. Yeah, um, I can't ever say his name. I think I'm saying it. Carson Hosevar. Um, last year, uh, you know, I, I pit for the Nice trucks a couple times. So, um, I did not expect him to be. He's been running. He's not just looking into that. He ran well for a lot of that race. And uh, he's been running well over the last several races. Uh, he's been a top 10 truck. Um, it's kind of interesting because, uh, when Brett Moffitt was driving that truck earlier this year, the 45 truck, they were not good. They were, it's not that they were not that good. They just weren't good. And yeah. he got out of the truck and I believe in Brett Moffitt. I pit for him. I won the championship on the team that he was on. Um, it's interesting that Carson is driving these trucks consistently in the top 10 and he made, I mean, I think John Hunter kind of, he ran those last couple laps just to get to the end. Um, I was but, wondering. What? I was wondering, because he really closed the gap. Yeah, Car if it, it, 
given the run he had in the last couple laps, if John Hunter Ninomachek was not just trying to coast to the end, one or two more laps, and that was going to be the the 42 truck winning that race. So, um, big I think one lap, it would yeah. have been the 42. Yeah, big shout out to him because I did not, I after everything I saw from the Nice trucks last year, aside from when Ross was driving, um, I just you didn't see that like they were a couple years ago when they were driving GMS trucks. So, uh, Big, big congratulations to Carson. I Heck, man, that guy goes and wins a race. That would be a big deal. It would be a really good thing to see a, a, the Nice team, which is not having that GMS support anymore. be really cool yeah. to see them go out there and, and upset the world again. Um, so then uh, moving on to the Xfinity race, and I've got some things to say about this one. Um, I've seen your, I've seen your I was not face, happy but... about this. So... Um, first of all, uh, I didn't expect Ryan Sieg to make the mess that he made. That is not really like him. Um, Ryan tends to be, he races very smart because it's his own little team and, you know, they pay for everything. So he tends to not tear stuff up. And I think they made a really bad call. And, uh, man, that was a, that was about worse than Johnny's wreck because he turned head on up to the wall in front of other guys poor josh berry man you do not expect to be running back there in like 12th or 14th or wherever he was and t-bone the leader (laughs) the guy who's leading going into one yeah that was in uh sieg's bun out forever and ever and ever and then all of a sudden boom that thing caught and that was a that could have been a really bad wreck too so um but yeah my my feeling on ty gibbs He's 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 incredible talent. Like let's not sugarcoat that. Um, he's showing that he can get it done. I mean, six races, he has two wins in the Xfinity Series. That's a big deal. But we're, we we got to be real here. That fifty four car is super op, which means overpowered for that that program. Like it's for Xfinity. I don't know what it is. It's just whoever gets in that fifty four car is Superman. And I know the first thing people are going to point to would be like, what about Ty Dillon? Well, Ty Dillon showed he can barely hold a wheel straight. Okay? I mean, it's... Even even when he was in the Xfinity Series in the RCR equipment, which was primo equipment, his brother was very good in that same equipment. And Ty only went out there... Yeah, he only went out there. Ty only went out there and won one race. So... You know, he did well aside from that, but Ty has shown he's not as capable as his brother, in my opinion. I know people are going to be like, well, you know, he only ever raced for uh, the uh, Jermaine team, but I'm telling you, like, Ty has shown he's just not that great. But when he gets in that 54 car, he looks like a superstar. It's just that he always ends up, and sometimes it's not usually been his fault, but he always runs into bad luck. But yeah. he's he but tends to be a top five car, but then whoever else gets in the car always ends up being top one to two at you know, at the farthest back. So it's not that yeah. surprising that especially a, a member of the Gibbs family would get into the best car and have the best equipment from the best Xfinity team and go out there and run the way he is. I don't think it's that surprising. Now, granted. We got we got to be honest. Still, 
he's still going out there and doing it. Like you, you can't just be assume because he's got yeah. the best stuff, he's going to just go out there and do it. He's still doing it, and he's kicking butt in yeah, the Arca series. Let let me give you this analogy though, because this is an argument that I have with it. So, like you said, he's got a lot of talent. He's really good. He's proven that. All right, and he's in the best equipment because we know Gibbs is giving him the best of the best, better than anybody else that gets in that 54 car. So here's the analogy I'll use for you. Steroids was a big thing in baseball. And Barry Bonds was one of the biggest ones that took steroids. Everybody knows it. And people would be like, yeah, but he still has to hit the ball. He still has to hit the home run. Well, yeah, you're right. But if you take a person who, before they took steroids, was about a career 300 hitter, and then you give him absolute power, what do you think he's going to do? Those singles and doubles are now home runs constantly. Yeah, he still has to hit the ball, but if you take someone who's already got the talent to do it and beef them up, of course they're going to hit home runs. It's not going to be luck of the draw like, oh, wow, he got lucky he hit that one. No, he hit 700 and somewhat home runs that broke Hank Aaron's record, but half of it he's on steroids. So all you had to do was poke the ball and it went over the fence. So when they say Ty Gibbs is great, yes, he, he has a lot of talent, but he is getting the best top quality equipment you can get. So even on a slightly off day, he's still better than half the field. Yeah. And I, I know, like, I, I already addressed the Ty Dillon thing. Um, I know a lot of people are pointing their finger like, well, what about Harrison Burton? What about uh, – Daniel Hemrick and, and all the other guys that are driving for Gibbs. Well, first of all, I'm not even saying that Ty isn't as talented as those guys. He may very well be. I'm just saying that that 54 car is still the best team of those other teams. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see, I'm not trying to hate on him. I'm interested to see how he goes. Because I think that this youth movement we have going on is a good thing for the sport. What I don't like about him, and and I noticed this at Dover, um, this dude, especially late in a race, when, uh, when it gets uh, when it gets down to the to the last stage, not even the last laps, the last stage, this dude will run to your bumper. He will not try to pass you. He will go right to your bumper. And this is exactly what happened at Charlotte this past weekend. And I'm a little salty about it because Chase Briscoe really needed a good run. I think his confidence is a little shaken. And I think it, he really, really needed a good run. And Ty was faster, like not lying. But it's 18 laps to go. And the minute he caught him, he ran, he, Chase was kind of up the track a little bit. He never went underneath him to try to pass him. He went straight to his bumper. And tried to move him. Now, I know the, the argument with the spin out. Well, he never touched him. Yes, he never touched him. But if the air doesn't move Chase, I think Ty still gets into his bumper and still moves him. And still spins him out. So, and again, that's not even really that much of a problem. Because we all know the bump and run. We all love the bump and run. 
my problem with this is that this is what this is what this kid is right now. He now he's young, like look, we're, he's still one of those young guys who doesn't know any better. And I really really hope that one of these days somebody pays him back for it because you saw it at the uh, road course, the Daytona road course. He got wild. He drove through the grass. You know, he, he's, he smashed up into the grass. He hit, I'm pretty sure he hit a bunch of other people in that race. At Dover, his teammate worked him and worked him and worked him. Harrison Burton worked him for laps, laps, laps. Finally got beside him, makes the pass. And in the very next corner, Ty dive bombs in there, gets to his bumper, and knocks him out of the way to and repass see, him. That one, I have a huge issue with. And... And, and this is one, the reason why I have a huge issue with that one is, one, you're not running for points. Yeah. You're not running yeah. for a championship. Harrison Burton is. He worked you, passed you clean with probably about five or six laps to go, and the very next corner you dive bomb him and almost take him out. And you cost him more points for the end, end of the race. Like, if, if I'm thinking Gibbs probably pulled him aside and said, look, you know, that's a team car. If it's not a team car, okay, you know, hey, do your thing. That's a team car. We're running for a championship. You know, he got past you. Try and work him back to try and get back past him, but don't make it so that way you almost ruin his race. And he yeah. almost did. Yeah, and, and uh, none, of these, none of these incidents alone – are really problematic to me because it's you can just chalk it up to hard racing but this it's been almost he's been doing this for six races now and at least four of the races i know of times when especially late in the race he doesn't race guys he just goes in and goes to the bumper and i know that that's a strategy to move guys but it's i don't even know how to explain it but it's different you see him drive in on chase briscoe's bumper he wasn't driving in on chase briscoe's bumper to move him he wasn't just trying to move him up the racetrack. He went in there so hard, and if he could have actually physically hit the bumper, that's what he was trying to do. He doesn't care if he spun out. I know he apologized afterwards, but, man, it just looks like he's just, I'm going to bull through you. I'm not going to race you. I'm just going to bull through you and get past you. And everybody, that's... that's everybody, everybody came down on Noah Gregson for his hard racing. Yeah. And Noah will race guys, especially late in the race. He will yeah. race you. He'll race you. And then when it gets down to it, like ten, five laps to go, that he'll he'll he's not afraid to move you, but it just to me looks like Ty is just he's a little over the top with it. He gets a little. It's almost like he's a little too anxious, and to me, I think that's really disappointing because he's got the talent. He's shown he's got the talent. He's got the car. Just just pass the guy. I mean, you ran yeah. with Briscoe. You ran right up to him. With that uh, little bit of exchange with lap traffic, you went right underneath him, and it's just especially that incident. And the way this whole incident started with Briscoe where he spun him out, you could see Ty got a little loose, and instead of stepping out of it like you should and regroup, he just stayed in the gas, stayed in the gas, stayed in the gas, and just lifted up and went right up to Chase's bumper and didn't make contact with him. But in this day and age with error the way it is, you don't need to uh, to touch a guy to spin him out, and we know this. So to me, it's it's more than just 
you know, oh, well, the air. No, you know how to manipulate the air to, to move someone like that. And you know, yeah. as you're washing up the track, like, this was what was going to happen. Just, yeah. you know, get out of it, regroup. So I, I was very upset with that, but. Um, and, and I want people to understand, we're, we're not upset about, you know, the hard, aggressive racing. We're not, we're not upset by that by any means. Yeah. But we just think with him being a rookie and running a couple races that instead of with 18 laps to go, going in there and causing yeah. a spin, why don't you put on a show yeah. and just pass Chase Briscoe and say, hey, look, I passed him fair and square and I beat one of the one of the cup guys. You know, yeah. I beat everybody in this field. I passed him fair he, and square. And who knows, he probably would have ran away from him. Yeah, he was clearly fast enough. I mean, he, he ran him down in no time and got right to him. It's just, just, just pass the guy. You have the car, yeah. you have the talent, just do it. That, that trying to spin or trying to move the guy with the air like the way you do is totally unnecessary. So that's, that was my opinion on that. Um, but now as, as we're getting down to crunch time, let's get down to the 600. And there's not much to talk about here because Kyle Larson snuck up the field. Um, first of all... Let me ask you one, one thing real quick. Did, did you hear that the Arca car was only a tenth off of the cup car? It was a, apparently, uh, you probably got the same source I did from DBC. The Xfinity yeah. car and the ARCA cars qualified faster than the cup cars. That's insane. Yeah, that's that's kind that's of ridiculous. ridiculous. Now, I, this is this makes an interesting point, and um, well, I guess we'll start here. D the cup cars should be the hardest cars to drive. Yes. In my opinion, they should be the fastest. And speed doesn't necessarily, like I've always related it, to at California, we used to have that big old board down in turn one, and as they dove off in there, you could see the speeds. We don't see speed. You know, we as people, especially just casual fans, they don't see the speed. So you could yeah. put a board up there that says 205, and they're going in there at 195, and people don't know the difference. So to me, that doesn't matter. But where it does matter is on the in cars at Charlotte, which is, you know, it's a mile and a half. It's a pretty standard mile and a half. But you hear them go in the corner, and they're virtually on the gas almost the whole way through. They back out a little bit in the center, and they might touch the brake to set the nose. But these cars, which are not, you know, not the most agile cars, and these guys are almost in the gas the whole way around the track. That's... That's the best drivers in the world are literally out on a Sunday drive yeah. or Sunday. And this has been really problematic. We've had decent races at Texas. We've had decent races at uh, Chicago and Kansas and even a little bit Kentucky. Blech. But um, the, the Charlotte has just – thank God we did the role because the Charlotte races have just been crap. I don't think – I know there's an argument out there, well, the 600 miles is too much. We need to shorten it. No, we don't. This is the one race a year where we run st super long. It's a marathon, um, which unfortunately the mechanical side of it has not come into play as much as it used to, where you got to save your stuff. But it, it's a it's the it's a marathon for a reason. It's our longest night. You know, I like the idea of having it, but man, the racing there is just terrible. The I think the main part that frustrated me is you did four stages all 100 laps. So here's, here's my answer to that, because I know a lot of people don't like the stage racing. Um, it kind of goes both ways, because if we didn't have the stage racing, 
it would be so the the races would be just not broken up. We don't have a lot of cause, cautions for calls anymore. Um, well, yeah, because they're going they're just going for a Sunday drive. Yeah. I mean, it's not hard we to always, the cars are too easy to drive. It's hard to, it's hard to get these things to wreck anymore. I mean, yeah. you see guys that get almost completely sideways and somehow they save it. So, I mean, look at the 15, Davidson. Yeah. He was spun out and straightened it back out. Yeah. So, but it's not necessarily the stage breaks that were irritating me. It's just more that you did four stages equal length. So here's my I, – I agree. Here's my suggestion to that. This is, is going to get into – we're going to have to probably stop this thing, reload, and uh, move on to, the, to another block because we've only got eight minutes left on this one. But here's my suggestion to that. We, do, we, we need to keep the stages, I think. I think the stages are good for the sport. My suggestion to it is we need to have one caution – Short. We need to have a sprint to a caution. You need to unload fast. You need to take your starting position into consideration. All right. I think that uh, where we put our competition cautions, which is usually around lap 20 to 40, depending on the track, that's where we need to have stage one. It is a sprint to the stage. And I think this would be interesting because it might change the strategy on how people start the race out. Knowing mm-hmm. that, hey, this is going to be important. We're not going to have an adjustment to get to this first stage very likely. So let's just, we have all these competition cautions, or we did. Let's run to a, a competition caution. That's stage one. Stage two, depending on the track, maybe we have it at quarter distance. Maybe we have it at a third distance. Maybe we have it at half distance. Maybe we change it up as we go. But that's our second stage. And then that's it. You know what I mean? Like, to, to me, that makes yeah. the most sense. Because the way that we're running it right now, I, the stages made a lot of sense. They were great. Break up the races. Um, kind of have, like, you know, your quarter breaks, your halftime breaks. But the way that the strategy plays into it, it, it really hurts the racing, in my opinion. Like, you knew with the 600-mile race, we're doing 400-lap stages, run the lap 50, pit, go out, run another 50. Yep. Coming at the stage. It was, you know, I, I see why they did it, um, but it doesn't work for that race. So um, this race really, it is a crown jewel, but it really hasn't done much for the sport in the last several years. So why make it special? I don't think right. we need to make it special for that. We pay out too many points for this race. Um, but now uh, what I think we should do um, I think we should not only do this where we shorten the stage, make a sprint, a halfway-ish, third-ish, something like that, and run to the end. I think that these crown jewel races should be, we should take a page out of the IndyCar book and pay double points. Yeah. To me, and I'm just I talking about, I'm just talking about for the finish. It should be a big deal to win these races. So I'm talking, your, your Daytona 500s, your Coke 600s, your Southern 500s, they should all be double points. I agree. So I think that makes the most sense. It's if, you know, if you win one of these crown jewel races, now 
it used to be, you know, Brickyard 400 was going to be one. I don't think we can consider that anymore because it's just the Indy Road Course, and it's still in Indianapolis, but it's not. I don't think it's, it's going to be. Brickyard. It's not the Brickyard. It's not going to. It's not the Brickyard 400. So it's a little different. Um, Southern 500, absolutely. You got to consider that. Um, let's see here. Uh, definitely, uh, Coke 600, the uh, Daytona 500. And maybe the maybe the maybe the night race. The night race is one of our premier races. I think it's got to be the premier races that, whenever we like, these are the races that the fans really appreciate. This is the most important in our history. I think the night race at Bristol is definitely fits that bill, um, and I think it's the only one that should be like that in the uh, in the playoffs. I think that's the only one that matters. Um, but maybe also um, for Phoenix being the, the final race, for the guys who aren't running for points, make that a double points race. Yeah. Or something. Like maybe maybe the multiplier is a little different because in IndyCar there are less cars. So, right. you know, you're talking about running, you know, getting for a top 10, you get what, like 30-ish points to 60-ish points. That's a big difference. But um, you know that is going to be consistent throughout the field. So yeah, maybe that's something to be to be looked at. Is you know when we get down to that that point in the year, I, I'm still not agreeing with with us running Phoenix. It's Phoenix is a great racetrack. I love being in Phoenix. I just don't think it's championship race material. Um, but maybe like our championship race should pay double points to the guys who aren't running for for points or running yeah. for the championship. Let's let's yeah. give these guys incentive to run. Yeah, so, I mean, it because that's really the last race is all about the final four, and nothing yeah. else. Yeah, I mean, to at least make it give the other guys a reason to be like, you know, hey, I'm gonna run this race, and I don't care about those final four. I'm gonna run my race. Yeah, you know, but I still think, I, I mean, even with Phoenix saying that they're gonna be the them releasing that Phoenix is the championship track for next year, I really think. If you want a hardcore nail-biting season finale, start it with Daytona, end it with Daytona. You know, I, I I go back and forth with this because look at the look at the chaos that happened last year. I like Daytona being where it is right now um, as the final race to get into the chase because you had. 25 other races to get in. And if, you know, we're rolling the dice at Daytona and, you know, worked out for William Byron last year, now he would have also made it in on points at that point in time. But, I mean, yeah, for the 26th race, like, roll the dice. Let's see what happens. Um, But as a championship race... Not not making an every year thing, you know, but I, I just feel... That would be the most exciting race you could have as a championship race because, it, it, you know, if one of the championship four crashes out, well, that's just the way the cookie cookie crumbled that race. Yeah, I mean, I, it is what it is. I don't like that quite as much because, like, I can't think of an instance at at Homestead because I still think Homestead has been one of the best tracks for us to run like that for the championship. I think. Uh, there's one wreck that I can think of where the champion wrecked 
or, or a guy who was running for the championship wreck, and that was Carl Edwards. But Carl didn't get taken out. Carl did that one to himself. Right. You know, it, it, it was a, a lot of that was on his own. Um, and so you can't have that at Daytona. And I actually think that Daytona, uh, it's a not only is it too easy to get caught up in something that is absolutely not your fault, um, that is also somebody's fault that is not running for the championship. I think that it's a little too easy for, let's say, I'm just going to throw team names out here just for S's and G's, um, but let's say RCR has a car in and Penske has a car in. And so let's, uh, let's say Austin Dillon's in the Final Four and Joey Logano's in the Final Four. Well, what's to say maybe, you know, Eric Jones, who's affiliated with RCR, with Petty Enterprises being affiliated with RCR, they go out there and they get hooked up with Joey Logano, but Jones kind of drafts him off of the, the right side and kind of pokes his nose out there and kind of gets him turned or gets underneath him, I guess is what it, the way it used to be with the tandem, gets on his left side and as he go in the corner, he kind of jacks him up and spins him out. And oops, sorry, I messed you up. But really, mm-hmm. what ends up happening is he helps Austin Dillon get ahead of him. You know, it's that that kind of tampering. I think is I way get, too easy. Because in a pack, it, it's too easy to just, oh, I made a mistake. I turned into a guy. You know. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but you could do that on any track. You could, but it's much hard. I think it's much harder to do at some of these other racetracks just because we see it happen at the restricted plate races all the time. People make mistakes all the time. So right. it's, it's not, it's really hard to do that at, at like Homestead where it doesn't look blatant, you know? Right. But see, that's, that's kind of it though. When you're at a restricted plate race and in that scenario, you're saying you have to know as Eric Jones, as the driver, that if you're racing Joey Logano and Austin Dillon's behind him, you have to know that we all know if, like, you hit that back corner at certain times, you're going to put Joey Logano on his on a deck lid like that happened. So whether it's an accident or not, you have to know you're going to be in the spotlight of that because you are associated yeah. with another car. But- so I, I don't see them... I don't see them doing that, especially with those high speeds, to be like, oh, sorry, you know, I spun you out. Well, to, I, I to don't the see credit. them doing it at, at, at a restricted play race, so I just think it would be, I think we got to try it one time since we're jumping around championship tracks. Well, we, we went from Homestead to Phoenix. I think we should try and jump it like they're jumping the all-star race. Give it a shot one time. Start with Daytona. And with Daytona and with Talladega, give it a shot, see how it goes. If it's a complete and utter fail, you know, hey, we tried it, you know, we know it works. Yeah. If it's amazing, nail biting on the edge of your seat, the top four are coming to the line side by side, boy, would that be one heck of a finish. Yeah. Don't really see it going that way, but if the championship four are all right there coming to the line, you can't tell me something that's more exciting. You know what I mean? Well, another thing that I think we need to think about is uh, what you end up seeing a lot in these Final Four races, these championship races, is the Final Four, now I'm sure, 
NASCAR's kind of letting him get away with some things. Because otherwise, I, I wouldn't... This is the only way I could see that all four of these guys end up being in the top four. It, it's every Homestead race that there's ever was with the championship race. At some point in time, all four of those cars are one, two, three, four. And they never run like that anywhere else. Like it's, you know, and so I think to, to your credit where, you know, you're going to be, whether it's on purpose or not, your name's going to be labeled with that. Um, well, and I, if you remember last year, Chase Elliott failed pre-race inspection. Yeah. He still drove up to the field and waxed the field last year. Yeah. Well, so I, I think a lot of times the, the guys end up trying to get out of those guys' way. Like, I don't want nothing to do with this guy. I don't want to be part of anything that he is doing today because he doesn't affect me whatsoever. And if I end up wrecking him by accident, I don't want there to be any questions. I don't want there to be any this or that. Um, right. Because you're not just dealing with your reputation and your name. You're dealing with sponsorships that could really pull out and be, you know, really mess up everything you have going on. So, um, well, that was, that was Kyle Larson the year when he was still like a nasty and they were at Miami. He was running third and caught first and second. I think it was when Kyle Bush won the championship. Mm -hmm. He caught them and literally came over his radio and said, I can pass both of them. But I don't want to force the issue and cause one of them to wreck, so I'm just yeah. gonna lay on to take yeah. care. Yeah. So it, it definitely, it, you're definitely right. It definitely does happen, which is why I so, think on a super plate you can't really do that. Yeah. You just imagine that kind of a race at Daytona or Talladega, where it's like everyone wants to stay away from those four. Like it's that's just gonna be. <laughs> this is the kind of to the front. this is, and this kind of goes back to why Homestead's so good. For some reason, Homestead just ends up being this good race. Everyone can kind of run their own race. And this is things we need to consider when we're trying to go to some racetracks. Like, hey, this racetrack ends up producing really good racing. Maybe this would be a great site for Final Four. But then you have to consider these things of like, no one's going to want to race these guys. Yeah. They're, they're going to want to stay as far away from them as possible because they don't want nothing to do with them. They don't want to e even be a thought that they held a guy up. You know, now there's a place places like Martinsville and bristol where you can't hide like it's you're just yeah. that's what it's going to be um there's just very few tracks that we can go to that i think is going to be giving us the best kind of championship race do you want to know my personal guess on 2023 what's that the it's going to be at a road course i think i think if they bring nashville fairgrounds back or if nashville speedway is a big hit in the first right. couple of years i think we might go there which is a terrible well, idea. I freaking hate that idea. <laughs> I, right, I see where you're going with that, but I think they're. I, I still think they're going to try road course. With was, how popular they are right now, I still think they're going to try it. There was one time when I was like, "Man, it'd be really cool to finish the year in Charlotte because it's home for everybody. Everybody kind of you're home for a, a race okay. earlier. Um, so maybe to your credit, that'd be a good you know end of the year at the Roval." But we definitely can't do it at the Oval here, man. It's it's just we need yeah. to fix that. That that the Charlotte race has just been it's been kind of garbage. And like I said, I'm so glad we went to the Oval because the Oval, especially in the fall when we were running 500 miles, dude, it was terrible. Yeah. Um, but I think I think with shortening that stage and just doing that across the boards, loop back what we we're talking about, shortening 
the first stage, making the second stage maybe kind of more random to a third to halfway, uh, changes up the strategy so it's not as consistent from race to race for these guys. Um, hell, maybe the second stage we don't even stop them. Maybe we get, yeah. we, maybe we dish out points. Let's let's really screw with the crew chiefs. They don't know when the caution's mm-hmm. coming. We're going to dish out points at this lap, but we might not stop them for another ten laps. We might stop them ten laps before that and make them run a ten lap dash. Like yeah. let let's keep these crew chiefs on edge to where they can't strategize this quite as much. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's well, first. Let's make the car. Let's make the cars harder to drive. And well, that we need to do that. And I think this next car, the next gen car, will do that a little bit. Um, we just I, got we got too many I smart people. We got too many smart people in, too many smart engineers that have made these cars so good, so easy to drive. You know, that's yeah. the thing. You and it's really hard to reverse engineer these things. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, to to unengineer yeah, them, like man, it's it's hard. With how far they are, you. You almost have to give them about a thousand horsepower to make them drive like they did in the old days, where they're sliding around the corners yeah, and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you almost have to give them over a thousand horsepower, which I'm not opposed to. You know what I mean? We can figure out how to make them still run the same speeds they're running with a thousand horsepower. Just when you go to get on it in the corner, it's not going to be as oh, I just barely lifted. You're going to, you know, lift and go back on it, and that car's going to break sideways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, apparently this next-gen car is going to be harder to drive. Uh, it's a lot less stable because we don't have all the side force we are accustomed to having. And right. I'm hearing, like, we're going to be going to Darlington. We're going to be shifting down to straightaways. Yeah. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see that. So um, Maybe transmission failures again. I, I have some insight on that, and I'm just not going to comment because it's not my place. <laughs> So, uh, the dumb parts guy. yeah, just the dumb parts guy. Um, so let's, uh, real quick address a couple other things. So we never really talked about the next gen car. What do you think of that about these new cars? I mean, I think they look better, but I don't know. I, I feel like making everything the exact same. I don't know. I, I don't feel like anything's really going to stand. I mean, I, once someone gets an advantage, it's going to be a huge advantage. And I mean, that's what racing's all about, but I just like when you're racing cars that are different from different manufacturers. I mean, you're, you're going to have a Chevy body on it and every other part is universal. I, I agree with you, but you know, in the early two thousands, the Ford crew was just destroying everyone. Right. And it's not like over the past, you know, the, the last five or so years, it wasn't like the Toyotas didn't have an edge. You know, the, at one time, the, the Toyotas all had an edge, and then the Fords kind of yeah. had an edge for a while. Right now, Hendrick is, the Chevys definitely have an edge right now. Yeah. Um, they've got it figured out. Hendrick is just eating everyone alive. RCR is running better. The RPM is running better, like, all the Chevys are running better. So it's, it's going to come and go regardless, you know? Yeah. So I think it's it's better to just, hey, we're, we're going to do this and we're going to try to make things as even as possible, but someone's always going to have an edge, so we're just going to work on it. Um, yeah. We kind of went away from that um, to try to make things more similar, and this is where it's led us. So yeah. let's kind of revert back and be like, okay, well, we're not going to try to have somebody have an edge, but someone's going to have an edge. And 
and I right. think I agree, like, to make the cars look more similar. I don't agree with everything that they're trying to do, um, especially from a standpoint of, um, you know, they're trying they're trying to put things in to make them more like the streetcar. And I get it, like, with the transaxle and things like that. But if it's things that you can't see, I don't see why it's such a big deal. You know I, what mean, I mean, performance-wise, performance it's a race car. It's a race car. And I get it. Making it look like what you want on your showroom floor, you put them side by side, they look similar. Yeah. But you're not going to see a Camry flying down the street. Yeah. Well, is it, <laughs> you're not going to get in a race car and see a rear-view camera, but all cars come like, come pretty much all cars come standard with that right now. So it's... Uh, some of the things I don't agree with, but a lot of... Th- I think from an aesthetic standpoint, if you look at that car and you're like, hey, I like that car. That's the car I want to own. And then you go to that dealership and you try to get that car. Like that to me makes perfect sense. It shouldn't look so silly, but or it shouldn't look so different. It's silly. Um, but I mean, yeah. come on. Indy, or sorry, look at the Indy cars. We're going to get to the 500 here in a minute. But look at the Indy cars. Chevy and Honda are in on that. Yeah. You know, look at Mercedes is in, and all the other ones that have ever been in Formula One. Um, Jaguar was in it for a while. I think BMW, like even all these other series, like man, their cars, the race cars do not look like street cars. No, but it's like you get synonymous with that manufacturer being there, and it's just hearing that name over and over and over again. It's not always about hey, I like that car. That's the car I want. It's kind of hey, I like this team. They drive this car. I'm gonna shop at this team first. Yeah, it's more about performance. So to me, that's that's how that works. But um, I think it's a good change of pace for the sport. I think we need something a little different, and yeah. we need to try things. And this this iteration of NASCAR seems to be willing to do that. Um, yeah, I am a little nervous because we're trying to bring more manufacturers in. We're trying to bring more teams in, but I'm afraid we're going to push some out because this starting up. Now remember, I'm a parts guy. This starting up is going to be immense cost it's going to be a lot because we're changing it's not just the amount to build a car it's the amount to build a whole new fleet of cars and guys losing their jobs and it's it's going to be a big change but i think when we come out the other side it will be stronger for it Um, and not only that but with these new cars they're talking about moving the number i really hope they don't remove them from between the tires no I hope they don't do that, but I heard they were talking about moving them forward or moving them back to give sponsors bigger panels on the side, which I'm all for that, but, I mean, again, that's just going to cost money to fill that spot yeah. up. You know I'm, what I mean? I'm almost for just keep it between the tires, but let the teams decide. It has to. You have to have the number this big. Keep it between the yeah. tires, and you can move it forward or move it back because – Everyone has a different sponsor, and the reason I don't I think that this is good because you think about a team with a sponsor that it's like you know they put it on their quarter panel, but the sponsor is the letters. Like imagine it's Chase Elliott with Hooters, and it's like the H is kind of cut off because of where it's at on the quarter panel, like over that wheel well, but then the rest of it's fine. It kind of does look a little silly. So to me, it's like, well, in that case, put the number back. And then Hooters can kind of run off the front wheel back towards the number. 
But maybe for like Kevin Harvick, we want to push the four forward and have a bush can behind it. You yeah. know, so I, I think it opens up a lot of possibility. But yeah, it's it's not to me. It, it's not really that big of a deal. Um, kind of let them decide. You can push it forward. You can push it backward, but keep it between the wheels. It has to be this big. Um, you still need to have your roof number. That's yeah. you know that's all that matters. You gotta you, you gotta do have what works number. best for your sponsor in that place. And that's what the really what we should be always doing is hey, what's best for this your sponsor? Yeah. So uh, it's th- this is such a petty little change, and I'm I don't really care, you know. Yeah, so as long as it stays between the wheel wells, I'm fine with it. So um, I got another one for you. What do you think about Brad Keselowski and his deal? I wanted to ask you that at the end of the last show last week, and I completely forgot until afterwards. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be if he takes it, I think it's going to be a good deal for him, and then it might end up working out for De Benedetto. But as soon as I've heard about he had the possibility of doing co-ownership of Roush and driving the six car. I was like, well, they might as well do a flip-flop with him and Ryan Newman. Just, it was just my opinion because, listen, we know Ryan Newman can run a car. And I feel like he always gets the short end of the stick wherever he goes. Someone comes in and I don't want to say necessarily pushes him out, but when he was at Penske before, he ran well. He won races. I think you could put him back in the two, but it might work out for De Benedetto too if if Kozlowski does that. Because then we could put uh, Austin Sindrick in the the two instead of the twenty one. Yeah. And they could keep De Benedetto there. So I don't know. I I think Kozlowski's probably going to do it mainly because Roush has been extremely struggling, and Kozlowski wants to own a Cup team eventually. So now that Denny Hamlin's done it. I could see Kozlowski jumping into it because I'm not going to lie. I felt like this year prior to Kozlowski signing his contract, I feel like he wanted to leave Penske. And now I feel like he has the full opportunity to, because I really feel like him and Joey Logano are on pins and needles. Yeah. Well, I don't know what it is with Penske. They always seem to have kind of division between their teams. Um, But then again, nobody really likes Joey Logano. So, um, here's my take on this. Um, I, it really depends on what Brad's trying to get out of it. Uh, as far as owner drivers go, they don't have a lot of success. Yeah. And I know the first thing people are going to point to is, well, what about your boss? Well, Tony kind of probably had the easiest pathway of ownership. Um, just, I, I don't want to go in here and get into the whole thing, but you know, being real about it, first of all, it's Stuart Haas racing, but the Stuart side is the minority. Gene Haas is the majority owner. So there's that, and Stuart immediately had people in place that kind of ran his side for him. But you can already, you can see the toll it took on him. I mean, they had a few good years there where, you know, Tony had some wins, but 2013, he got a win at Dover. Then he didn't win again until 2016, and that was it. Even yeah. the year that he won the championship, 2011, he didn't win until they got to the chase. So yeah. it's, you know, I think he won a couple in 2012, but they weren't really that competitive. 
Um, and you see this with owner drivers. Like you see some success stories, you know, everyone's going to point at the Ricky Rudd stuff. Um, but man, everyone who's tried owner drivers, they've really struggled. And the people who were owners, but didn't run for their own team had more success. So I think that that's a key thing to remember here. Um, you know, Earnhardt, when he was bringing up DEI, he ran well, but well, even starting out, like his down years were kind of the years where DEI was ascending. Yeah. Um, so, um, Denny is kind of showing he can run well as an, as a owner driver, even though he's not driving for his own team. So I don't, I don't know if, if, if this is what Kazowski wants to do, I think he's going to need to accept the fact that he may never be on top of his game as far as a driver anymore. And I, I really don't feel like he's – I don't feel like he is what he was when he won the championship. Yeah. Just, just me personally. Like, he'll, he's, he's shown success, and he's made Final Fours and everything. I just don't see him as being that guy. And even that year he won, it wasn't – like, he kind of came out of nowhere to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, and, I mean, and let's be honest – Roush, which I know is a touchy subject, mm. but let's be honest, the Roush cars have not been anything relevant well, to talk about. They're kind of like, and I say this now that Ganassi's kind of showing up, because they've been running slightly better, but it's like Ganassi. They're there, and they can, they're considered a top-tier team, but they don't run top-tier at all. Now, have they ever so, really been? Ganassi? Yeah. Or Roush? Ganassi. No, I, I wouldn't say they were. I mean, no. I think when the package changed, I think it really threw Larson for a, a loop the first time. And I think that kind of bogged them down until they pulled Kurt Busch in after McMurray left. But, I mean, Roush, to me, I can't remember the last time that they were relevant except for when Mark Martin and Matt Kenseth were there and Carl Edwards. Yeah, when Carl Edwards left, that was kind of the end of it for them. And here's – everyone kind of knows how I feel about Roush. Uh, I've, I've kind of brought it up here on several times. But he, here's the other side of that. And I'm – there's times that I'm like, whatever, screw him. Um, but then on the other side of that, it's like, is, is NASCAR in a better spot – when RCR isn't relevant or when Roush isn't relevant? Probably not. Um, I think we need these guys to be successful. And I, th- I think Roush has kind of done it to himself with some of the decisions that were made. Um, right. And the culture that was there, even, like way before I went over there, the, the culture that was defined by a lot of people I've talked to. Um, but man, we, we, Roush has been a staple team for decades. RCR for decades. These are teams that, and it'd be really nice if we could get Petty Motorsports to be relevant. But like, these teams, if they're NASCAR is going to be better if they're relevant. So, right. to me, it's like if bringing Brad Keselowski in makes Roush better, it makes the sport better. And yeah. and to me, that's it. Doesn't matter my feelings on that company. Uh, maybe bringing some fresh blood in will help. Um, with that culture, but you know, I, I think if Roush is more relevant, 
NASCAR is more relevant and, and that it wouldn't be a bad thing. But I do think it would not be the best thing for Kozlowski if he's trying to win more championships. I just don't think yeah. that that's going to happen as an owner-driver. History has shown it's it's not. Unless he takes a role similar to what Tony did when he bought in. Um, but just, again, remember how, how little how little promise they showed for 26 races that year and then just lit the world on fire in the chase. And, and yeah. won by tying. Like, you know, that's... out on a miracle. <laughs> yeah. That, those things well, don't happen did, very often. We did get the famous line, though, from Tony that year, I'd wreck my mother to win a championship. Yeah. <laughs> I'd wreck your mother to win a championship. And Brad Keselowski would wreck his mother to win a championship. But <laughs> I just... I, now, it's, it, it kind of goes back. If, if he thinks he's kind of beyond his better days... Then yeah, absolutely. Get into ownership. Get in while it's hot. Get in while this new car's coming in. Get in while Roush is, you know, the, the bid's low. <laughs> you know, right. Um, I think that that's the best move for him. But if he's still interested in trying to go out there and, and winning championships is the first thing on his mind, I just don't think it's the best thing. Right. So I think there was a couple other things I wanted to touch on, but we're already at an hour and a half, so we're going to wrap up. Um. I got to go teach in the morning, so got some I got body a, pump. I got a tea time at ten o'clock. So. Okay, well, my tea I teach at eight fifteen, so All and right. I'm well, sure I'm gonna, gonna be I'm gonna probably be up several times because of the new baby. We didn't get to talk about the new baby, but um, baby Zach came on Tuesday morning, scheduled C-section. Everyone's healthy. We're home, um, and it's great. It's been it's been fun. So. And, and Mimi and Petha are down there. Oh, they're so eating it up. You can get, get get your last full night of sleep. Let them handle them overnight, and, <laughs> and then they'll come back tomorrow. And then then it's all you, big guy. I think me and Jenny are gonna be trading naps tomorrow, so that I think that's the plan. <laughs> so with that being said, hey, I've been doing a really bad job of uh of including the race aru thing. Um, I I don't want to beat a dead horse with it, but. Hey, if you're looking to, to improve your fitness, no matter what it is, like I, I don't, I know I stress, I don't really do the nutrition thing um, because I can't and I don't really want to. But if you want to improve your fitness and you have questions, you just need advice. You want a, a general plan, whatever you think you need, hit us up. Um, we'll see what we can do for you. We, you know, I, I've really gotten frustrated lately with the, uh, the influencers uh, that you see on like Instagram and everything, I question why they piece their workouts together. And sometimes I have these aha moments where I'm like, Hey man, I'm way better than this person getting 10,000 likes because they're putting their butt in front of a screen. Yeah. But their workouts, they're like, do this hit workout. This is going to be perfect for your booty. And it's no, no, this is not how you, Build muscle. This is not absolutely. But they got 10,000 likes because they got a nice butt and they're sticking in front of a camera. So um, culture needs to change. I want to be a part of that. So uh, this month coming up for June, we're in a strength block for our general program. Um, can go into more individualized beyond that. Um, reach I'm out. I'm glad you found my booty video. What? Oh, that's <laughs> you? Oh, man. No. No. <laughs> I promise you it's not you. <laughs> there was no beard. 
yeah, it was me then. All right, with that being said, we're going to go on to Sonoma, uh, wrapped up all that stuff. Uh, Jordan, he, I, hey, man, I've won the last two weeks. Let's see if I can keep it hot. Who do you got for this weekend? Um, Martin Truex Jr. That's a good call. Uh, let's see if I can keep it hot. I think Almendinger's running this weekend, isn't he? I don't know. I didn't hear him say that he was. I think Kotlick might put him in there, but I don't know that for sure. Well, okay, I'll go with AJ if he's running, and if he's not... Oh... You might as well pick a Hendrick car. Cause yeah, might as well pick a Hendrick car. Um, no. Screw it. We'll, we'll stick with Kislowski. I'll go with Kislowski. See how that turns out. Huh. Not All the right, best. Then. Not the best one, but I think if, if Almendinger's run, I'm going with Almendinger. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll go with that. All right. Well, Jordan, we'll talk to you next week. And by the way, I want to talk toss this in with Sonoma since we all thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread where we, uh, we ran the inner loop at Sonoma. Um, I'm going to call that that's a mistake. We already saw that two years ago. It wasn't quite the Sonoma race we had been used to. Um, I think we need to go back and, and do the top of the hill like we had been doing there for a while. Fun fact, the reason why we run up there is because when Bruton Smith bought the track, they put that little access part right there at the top of the hill. Because um, the condos they built up is the, up there. They, they wanted the people who bought those suites and those condos to be able to see better. Um, and uh, I thought it would be the greatest thing that we went and ran that interloop thing again. And it, it just wasn't quite as good. You want to know why? Because where's the biggest action part on that racetrack? That corner right before the yeah. S's. That, that really sharp turn where everyone hits the, yeah. the curb and it knocks... You know, they arch up the car and it leans them up. Um, that's one of the best parts of the track. And then obviously down at the hairpin. But we don't get that with that inner loop. Everyone kind of gets spread out a little bit. So, yeah. Um, oh, we didn't touch it in the Indy 500. But congratulations, Ilio. That was really cool. Yeah. So I didn't see it. I just heard about it. Yeah, we might talk more about that next week. So, but with that being said... Uh, we're at Sonoma this week, uh, Nationwide's at Mid-Ohio, and then on Sunday morning, uh, Formula One's racing, huh? Xfinity. What did I say? Nationwide. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Xfinity's at Mid-Ohio. Formula yeah. One is at Baku, uh, Azerbaijan. Interesting stuff coming out this weekend. Uh, Singapore Grand Prix has been canceled. Potential of running a second U.S. race. Uh, because of the COVID things. So um, a lot of stuff we didn't get into, and we've been on this for an hour and a half. So well, I got I got one more quick thing that uh, I've forgotten the dirt section. My uh, not-so-favorite driver, Donnie Schatz, is making his truck debut at Knoxville. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that'll be Brian cool. and, and Donnie Schatz, I mean – I gotta say, I'm gonna have to pull for Donnie Shots in this one. He runs a late model, so I think if any dirt driver has a shot at it, it's definitely gonna be Donnie Shots. Cool, man. Well, we're gonna wrap that up. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Racer Roof Fitness, or Facebook. Uh, send us a message. Let us know what we can do to help you advance your fitness. Jordan, we'll catch you next week. All right. Later on. Bye.